1: Hello everybody, it's Mark Kelly here. I hope you are doing really well wherever you are in the world. Part of our oldest ServiceNow podcast series. I'm very, very happy to welcome Mark Seely to the show. Mark has been on podcasts in the past and we're delighted to welcome him back again. Mark is a practice director at SecOps and IRM at InSource. Mark, thank you very much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Mark, could you give us a little bit of a reminder how you got into the world of ServiceNow and uh, your journey to, to here?
2: So a uh, very, very unique journey, maybe not unique way, ask other people. Started in communications in the army back in the nineties, came out, did point-to-point microwave, moved into the MSOs, right, the cable plants. That was sort of my dip into the IT world. Cause we actually would utilize Netcool, right? So IBM Tivoli suite, moved into that further. So I then expanded about 14 years playing in the IBM realm and then getting into HP. And then eight years or so ago, did a project where I was doing actually comparisons to ServiceNow, whether if it could replace Netcool for a customer. And that was my first instance of it dealing anything with ServiceNow, which was good because I had to utilize the entire platform as I went through. So it was really good awakening for me. And I just saw the benefits of how ServiceNow was helping their customers as far as, hey, we can customize more, we can do more, where well, I dealt with Netcool for 15 years. That was a black box, right? You didn't touch Netcool. So it was a completely different change, but I didn't like it because you over customize, right? No, it was the extreme opposite. But then I I started playing with it more and over the timeframe, over those first few years, ServiceNow tamed it back to say, Hey, no, we don't want you to over customize. We want you to be happy to do more configuration, let's scale back. So then it came into sort of a sweet spot for me. After being with Infosys for a little while there, I actually founded Beck Strategies in 2018. We were an elite service now partner for four years. And then we merged with InSource in April of last year, because we were partnering with them over those four years, and it just became a good marriage between the two companies.
1: Great story. And thank you very much. It's funny that you say that you've got a unique background and you do have a unique background. What I've learned from the interviews I've had within the world of service now is A lot of people have quite unique backgrounds who come into this field versus some of the more standard podcasts I've done across artificial intelligence, who maybe are VPs of AI or kind of roles like that. So service now seems to bring this different diversity of thought together particularly well, maybe that's one of the reasons why it kind of works so well.
2: Well, I I think one of the things that they've done is really enhance the idea of the business units where most other platforms are, where IT, we know best and the IBM, the HPs, of the world, you know, their focus is from that IT perspective and they set the tone for the entire company. What service now comes from a different perspective and they say, no, it's the end users that need to set the tone for the platform, the HR department, the governance department, going across the board of the entire company. And I think when you're setting the tone there. Then it gives a different perspective to the IT group. So we come in as service now consultants. We have to have more understanding of what's outside of IT. Who are you dealing with on a day to day? Who is my actual customer? And that's what I need to play to. So you need all those different personalities within your organization to really make a play for it. And then the underlying part is it really is. But it's the consulting of knowing business across the platform which makes a difference. So you could come in with, you know, we have a skill bridge program. I've had somebody that started out where they were a cook in the military or a medic, and now they're ServiceNow developers. So you can definitely come in from different backgrounds and just have an understanding.
1: Tell us a little bit about InSource and your role at InSource within SecOps and IRM. At InSource, you know, we're an elite partner with ServiceNow. We run the
2: game, but we do sales implementation. We're a tech partner. We're a trading partner we have multiple delivery streams. So ITSM, ITOM, CMDB, uh, SPM. And then I handle the SecOps and IRM area, which was GRC now integrated risk, uh, which is just drastically growing, especially over the past year. So I focus in that area, which in the past few years has gotten a lot more talk to it. As you see the data breaches, privacy breaches across the platform and SolarWinds a few years ago with the big hack they had in Microsoft. So we're getting a lot more attention. The SecOps and IRM world used to be an add-on from ITSM. Everybody had ITSM. It's a basic need. ITOM is very similar. Hey, we need to discover our products out there, our, our servers and everything else. And so we don't have money for that governance stuff and until you fail an audit or until you get hacked, right? Then it's going out, throw all the money at it. But now we're seeing that level out. We're seeing that the business are saying, Hey, now this is important on a day to day, as much as discovery. And now we're getting more into the talking grounds of, Hey, we need to start doing this on daily instead of being so reactive to it. So it's nice to see the other thing that pushed IRM across the platform now is taking it, I'm not going to say take advantage, but they've been aware of how it's leveled out with that. So they're actually taking the risk across the entire platform, much like the CMDB being the backbone of now risk is getting that way as well it's tapping into all the different areas we're seeing a lot more flow that way i'm really enjoying it more because now it's not just governance used to be hey we're putting in policy paperwork we're putting in control now we're actually tackling the problems we're actually tying into the different areas so for me that that becomes more dynamic and so that's been a real key play out here so with the different regulations from the government coming through just those hacky and all different things happening, ServiceNow has really paid attention. And like we said earlier, it's paying attention to the business and what we need to do there, not just an IT function. So yeah, we can't play crystal ball. We got to do what we can.
1: Yeah, I think they've been very purposeful. And consequently, there's a lot more attention played to us. And people are taking very seriously data. Talk us through some case studies where you've been able to help customers to succeed and think about you, know, what was the problem? What was the challenges that those customers have and kind of walk through it?
2: So you know, we, we have a couple of great case, I actually have a ton of great case studies, but just, you know, a couple off the top of my head. I have one very good customer. They've been a customer for over four years and they actually wound up getting SecOps, the vulnerability response module, as well as the GRC module. It was because they failed it off, right? They, they were completely reactive. They were caught off guard because they had no visibility into what was happening. They were already doing discovery. They had multiple tools doing different discoveries and in coming into the platform, but it wasn't clean. And the organization piece of it was to, hey, we need visibility on this. So, yeah, you know, we put NIST controls in place with the vulnerability response. We're actually still working with them hand in hand, walking them through the process of, hey, this is the path you need to take. And they're a great comfort because they respond to what we said. It's not like we need this and this is how we're going to do it. They actually listen to the advice on, Hey, let's take those baby steps and walk you through it and let's tackle what went wrong. So now, now they're getting a to be based off that vulnerability response. They're getting better patching processes in place as we're walking through it. And they actually have a true exception process, which they never even had before. It was, Hey, these lists, this list of servers we don't touch. That's not a very good exception process. So now they're actually managing that they run that. They're actually a technology company themselves. They deal with state and local governments. They're in 3,500 different governments across the country, which is, is amazing when you think about government entities. There's, and they're not in all of them, right? And it's 3,500. So they're dealing with government entities across the country and they failed an audit. So little mud on their face, but, but we're cleaning that up. So they're not failing the next audit. And moving forward and then what's going to happen is the next audit that we prepared for as far as hey, here's our reports here's our structure but what we want to get them to is when they're actually handing the report in themselves and saying hey we just printed out the report the audit report for you because we have grc in place and these are all the requirements you have that's the next step so then it makes those discussions a lot easier the other thing we've come to play with them is they're finding ways to work their budget cycle with the vulnerability management because they're finding older devices that are out there. What can we upgrade? They're getting more visibility. So now they're saying, hey, now we need a replacement cycle. So you can see, we weren't just detecting issues. We were actually building an asset inventory. We're building replacement cycles with this. We're fixing audit. So a lot of things come into play with we'll just factor one module with its once in service now on that one. Another big use case is a bank that we've been dealing with out of Texas. They've been, again, a vulnerability response has been a big thing for them. Visibility across the platform. They've been using Tenable or their scanning tool and just bringing in uh, that space for Linux and Windows patchings has been difficult for them. And they actually have specific teams for those, right? They have a Windows team, they have a Linux team, but they realized that patching cycle wasn't enough because being a bank, and I don't know how much you know about banking IT, there's a lot of old systems that you can almost never get rid of, the old AS400s. I know people have heard of them. You know, everybody ever wants to touch them. There's like one person in the company that knows what it does. Yeah. That, that one person that can never get fired because they, they're the only person that knows it. But that information out there that they need for some audit someday, because in banking, you need to keep those records forever. So, you know, you have those situations of where here's my exceptions and I need to have it limited to those different groups. But also, even if I'm giving exceptions through a vulnerability, because we can't upgrade that, we need to make sure we're on top of it. And there needs to be that reminder every 30 days. Hey, what's on the exception list? Oh, okay. It's just the AS400 and nothing else. Okay. Now, is there any way we can do it? And You always need to keep that review because eventually there is something out there that we can replace that old system with, can do something with it. And what we found is a lot of customers show an exception and forget it's out there and just don't worry about it. And that's not the best way to handle things because that's where you're gonna get that breach if you're not paying attention to it. So understand exceptions important, but if we're not tracking those exceptions, that's gonna be our biggest, our weakest link at the end of the day. And that's what this bank has actually handled with their exception processes. Hey, we have control now. We know what's going on. Yeah, that's how we can go.
0: You are listening to The Oldest Podcast, When you're looking to scale your team, or if you are interested in showcasing your company in a future episode, reach out today. Or if you're in the market for a new role, visit our website to view open positions, www.aldis.com.
1: Just tracking that and making it very consistent because when people want to go back in the archives and they want to check it, it just needs to be available and people need to understand that there's a certain standard that you can need to walk through. And you mentioned a few different points within those case studies, but being able to respond back to those vulnerabilities that are there in real time, being able to actually have a, pro- a process that you feel really comfortable with, that you can roll out across the business and then the business can actually feel like we've got security underpinned, we've got a process underpinned and we can manage that effectively as well. I think customers be a lot better knowing that everything's done in a really systematic way, but also the people that work for the company feel good about the whole process as well.
2: Yeah. yeah, one of the big things we find is whenever we have a customer, and vulnerability spots is a good one, much like incident response. When they turn it on, they have no idea how bad it was. But when they, the one customer I was just speaking to, was switched it on, and it came in, and they had fifty thousand vulnerabilities. 50,000, what, that's so astronomical. And then they're like, okay, what do we do? And they were saying, Mark, what do we do? I said, well, we bite off what we can actually choose. So let's bucket different areas. What are they? Windows, Linux, let's break these things down. What's on the initial exception list you have. Let's separate those out for now. We'll tackle those in a minute. And then let's look at your patching schedule. And what we came to find out is they were doing a lot of patching. They're doing it on a monthly basis, but. There's such a limited window. If a patch didn't get processed properly, then it waited for another month cycle. And to so, know, why are you doing that? There, there's no reason for it. You just need to adjust your patching cycle. So they've come down from that 50,000 to under 10,000, right? Of, of real vulnerabilities once we started seeing this. And that's the beauty of it is when you say, okay, now we're getting control. Now what's next? And okay, now we realize, okay, some of those machines are like 2004 windows. Right, you're not upgrading those anymore. That's a whole bunch of stuff. So if we segment those out in, in nice workspace and say, hey, this is that group. What are our vulnerabilities on things we can deal with today? And we come to find out that's only a few hundred. Okay, that's a manageable number. And then you need to get with finance to say, what do we do about these 2004 servers? Right, because you need to replace those, you need to upgrade, you're not patching anymore on those, but they are still a vulnerability. But now we're saying, hey, these are the things we could tackle IT-wise. Or security wise today, we have to go through budget meetings for these other things. And the other items are exceptions we need to get with the business unit on. But now it's manageable. And that's what the important part is.
1: Yeah. And I think when people kind of feel like, okay, you've lifted up the rock, you're looking underneath what's going on. You think, okay, let's take a step back. And then you feel like you've got a course of action that everyone feels like they're rowing in towards that course of action. And then step by step, people feel like they're making meaningful progress. That's a real morale boost. And people feel like they're going on a journey as well that they can share too. And that's a great example. And I think there's there's always that day you find out and then the day you move on. And then you feel like you go go on that journey. Kind of pivoting a little bit here going on to something that I know is close to your heart is the veterans program that you work and you share and you use, it'd be great to give a little bit of background about that. Obviously, you you mentioned that you were in the army before. Tell us a little bit about how this came about.
2: Yeah. So that is near and dear to me. I'm not sure how it became that way initially, but I was an army that's always been part of who I am, obviously played into my career, the benefits in life that, that you get from being in the military. And when I founded back, we were small. We're competing against larger partners. So we don't run a volume of folks. And we, we partnered with another company and they had all these veterans that they were training, but they could not do any hands-on. They didn't have projects. We had projects. So we actually partnered up. We were giving them the projects, a hands-on training to build them through. And initially there were 15 of them and everybody got placed. We actually hired some in-house that are still with me today, four years later. And then what we said is, okay, that was a veteran program, but we need to catch the folks before they're out of the military. And the DOD has set a program for folks that are transitioning out. Within six months, they can internship at a company with, within a different field they want they think they're gonna go into. So there's thousands of different DOD skill-wish programs out there for different industries. But we set up one, we were one of the first ones with ServiceNow. And we still actually have the highest success rate as far as passing service now certifications. And we started out with only a couple. We now average about 35 interns at any given moment within the program, but it's helped make them successful. And what we do is we don't just train them. We actually help place them. And we've had some that, hey, they left the program. They didn't want to do it. We've had some real life service now wasn't for them. That's fine. We had one person go off to NASA. He wanted to do different things. And like I mentioned earlier, we had a cook, we've had a medic, we've had someone from marketing, so all different walks of life coming into it, but we get them certified, we train them hands on, and we also say, Hey, your social media presence is important. We make sure they go with the resumes. We do practice interviews, work on their social media setup to get them placed. And we have placed most of the folks with other partners as well as in because obviously we can't take everybody to 35 at every moment is a lot. So, it's been very successful, and we're actually have a higher success rate on passing certifications than ServiceNow's own Gilbert's program. So, we've been very pleased about that. And we actually work with ServiceNow on the training process for the course design for their in house program. So, we've been heavily involved in that. And I think to date, we have well over 300 folks that have gone through the program. I have to look at the number, but it's been a huge success. As we move forward. Glad to talk about that anytime.
1: Yeah, that's a great story. And uh, there's fantastic transferable skills. And as we said before, the platform allows people to come in and utilize those skills and address some of the, the challenges we have within the talent management piece because we need more people within that area because there's so much opportunities there too. Mark City, a director of practice lead in source, thank you very much for your time today and really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Appreciate being here.